Hello, I'm Dr. Ruth Schmidt-Nevin, clinical psychologist and child and adolescent psychotherapist. Welcome to Talking Child Development, the podcast of the Association of Child and Family Development in Melbourne, Australia. The association is a not-for-profit organization that aims to disseminate information about all aspects of child and family development to other professionals and the wider community. In these podcasts, we will be going a little deeper into the whys and wherefores of child, adolescent and family life. We want to get away from a focus that's purely behavioral and quick fix based to delve more deeply into issues and ask questions about why things happen the way they do. You can find more information on our website at www.acfd.com.au. You will also be able to access the references mentioned here. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Scott Cadby, who is a school counsellor and wellbeing coordinator at an all-boys college in Melbourne, where he has worked for the past 14 years. Scott completed a Bachelor of Arts majoring in psychology and a master's degree in psychotherapy and counselling. He has worked in youth justice, where he coordinated and facilitated an early intervention and diversion group program for adolescent offenders. He has also worked in vocational rehabilitation, assisting adults to return to work following injury or illness. Scott has a particular interest and passion in working with adolescents as he feels that that it is at this stage that support is most required and where lifelong change can be made. Welcome, Scott. We'll be talking in this podcast about boys and their fathers and the need for boys to have a warm, supportive and mentoring relationship with their fathers. Can we start by discussing what sort of referrals will typically be made to you as a school counsellor? Firstly, thank you, Ruth, um, for having me on the podcast today. I'm a long time subscriber and I've listened to most episodes, so it's quite a thrill to be with you. A typical referral. in short, anything and everything. And that came as a big surprise to me when I first started working in my school 14 years ago. Anxiety in the various forms is probably the most common form of referral. And with this, we see social anxiety, anxiety to attend school and school refusal, which has become biggest following the pandemic, test, exam, assessment anxiety, panic disorder, and even OCD. With this, we often see students with low mood or depression and in quite a few cases, self-harm and suicidal ideation. Family dysfunction is also common, and here we're talking about conflict between family members, most commonly between parents. Also, we see and support students um, from broken and blended families, as clearly there are a lot of challenges that come with this. Sexuality issues are becoming much more common as well. I read recently that a third of Australians aged 15 to 24 now identify as LGBTQIA+. And with this, we seem to have students needing to find a label that they can align themselves with. Gender and sexual diversity and diversity in general is also becoming much more common. And of course, this comes along with its own unique challenges. We've even seen and supported students with eating disorders, gambling issues, drug and alcohol issues, and many more. And it's got to a stage where no referral surprises me um, and that every day is different. You can never really know what to expect. I should say that due to the myriad of issues we support students with and with a large number of students that need our support, each new council that they've come to my school They've quickly became overwhelmed and it's taken some time for them to find their feet. Wow, Scott. I mean, that sounds like not just a full-time job, but <laughs> the kind of 
where do you get the space to breathe in all of that? I say that's that's unbelievably complicated and huge. Yeah. But I'm assuming yeah. as well that you link in with the community services. You know, you can't take on all of these problems yourselves. I mean, once you, you must be able to refer um, some yeah. of the, the young people to other services in the community. Of course, um, a lot of our students also see a psychologist outside of school or a psychiatrist. Um, and when we feel that the student's issue is too great for, for our um, care, that's when we also make referrals to out, outside agencies. Sure. So, I mean, these are very diverse needs. And, and you've mentioned the very diverse needs of the boys, both at the junior and senior levels in the school. And I'm just thinking, given that we've come through one of the greatest pandemics in the last century, well, we haven't entirely come through it. <laughs> what impact do you think this has had on the boys and the fact that they've been out of school and they have now got to come back and sort of restart learning? Yeah, it's funny that we think about the pandemic, you know, being occurring in 2020 and 2021, but essentially we're still going through it. Um, but those disruptive years had a big impact on, on our young people and all people for that example. Um, most students were not academically productive when completing school from home. Um, and their general routines also suffered during that time. That was particularly challenging for our teaching staff in 2022 because they had, they had to go back to basics in many subjects and go over content that students missed out on in those difficult years when we were in and out of lockdowns. But the pandemic also impacted students in other ways, um, including leading to poor sleep routines and habits. Um, we had, we seen increased screen time and in some cases, screen addiction. Um, it damaged students' social skills and their ability to make friends and get along with others. And many families, we've seen increased stress. Um, so it was difficult for our young people to be stuck at home with that. It should be noted that many quiet and introverted students actually preferred working from home during the pandemic and they thrived academically. Um, however, this created new challenges when they were forced to return to normal on-site schooling in 2022. Many of these students developed high levels of stress and anxiety and became school refusers, and some of which are still yet to properly reintegrate into the classroom. But on a positive note, the vast majority of students did get back into the old routine, and by the end of 2022, for the most part, they seemed back on track. I should note that um, so far this year, we've seen far less students experience difficulties making that transition from primary to secondary school. And this was most likely because they had an uninterrupted year of school last year, and that we had a proper orientation to our school as well, something that was not possible during the pandemic. So, so many um, impact, there's such an enormous impact about the pandemic. And mm -hmm. I'm just wondering in relation to that and also about the presentations you talked about and the types of referrals, do you think that the focus on mental health and emotional well-being has led to there being less of a stigma attached to the boys seeking your help? Absolutely. Um, students in my school, at least, seem a lot more open to seeking support through school counselling um, now compared to when I first came to this school in 2009. And this can be accounted for by the growing number of referrals being made to us. Our client lists are growing steadily each term and each year, in fact, with the client load of, of the counsellors at my school hovering around 150 to 160 each, um, which is obviously, obviously really big. Furthermore, we also have many more students self-referring for school counselling or referring their friends or brothers, um, which shows a belief from them that the support is worthwhile and we particularly celebrate this as well. And most schools these days provide a lot of education to students on mental health and wellbeing. 
and are doing all they can to normalise the act of seeking out help and support. For example, in my school, we now have a wellbeing period each fortnight where students spend that time focusing on nothing else but mental health and wellbeing, using materials from organisations such as the Resilience Project, which have a particular focus on gratitude, empathy, mindfulness, and emotional literacy. Events such as Mental Health Week and Are You OK Day also do a lot to reduce the stigma attached to students seeking out help. And we also have many more sports stars and celebrities speaking about their own mental health challenges, um, which is really powerful. I think in these cases, students think to themselves that if these rich and famous people are struggling, it makes sense that they can struggle too and that this is okay. I think the motto, it's okay not to be okay, has never been more true. Well, that's that's actually very heartening because um, I think over the years, we've talked about how vulnerable young boys can be, how much support they need in developmental terms to become fully rounded individuals. And um, it's good to hear that there is a focus on relationships and on development. Um, do you think sometimes that parents might have um, or, or particularly at an all-boys school, there's an assumption that the school will attend to all of these developmental needs. Do you think the school feels they have to take it on themselves? It's a good question. I think all schools set out to educate the whole student and to try and prepare them for life beyond the school gates. And that's certainly the case at my school. I think most schools do a lot of work in this space. However, I feel that parents and families have a big role to play in this area as well. And perhaps they need to step up and do a bit more themselves. In my experience in recent years, many parents are placing more expectations on schools, and that's teaching staff and wellbeing staff as well. And they're expecting schools to address issues not related, not related to school or on issues that are occurring outside of school hours, even on the weekends and school holidays. I think we as school counselors provide a very convenient service to families as parents do not need to get their children to appointments or pay any extra on top of school fees for the support that we provide. So the school really offers a lot. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, it is an all boys school. And do you think there are any particular benefits? And this may be a hard one to answer associated <laughs> with an all boys school versus a co-educational model. I was thinking of it particularly for boys. I would say that I'd say there'd be pros and cons to both single sex schools and co-educational ones. And I don't think that any one school is the right fit for every single student. Many students at my school say that being at a single-sex school is actually good because they're free of distractions and that life is simpler. That's how they put it. Um, but increasingly, we're getting more students being critical of the single-sex school, particularly if they're a little different to the majority of students or do not fit that gender stereotype. And many of these students end up leaving the school to attend others. And often in this case, we see them going to co-educational schools. Um, I think it really depends on the individual as to whether they'd benefit from a single-sex school or co-educational one. Um, but importantly, I think a lot of single-sex schools are trying to organise contact with the opposite sex, um, especially as they progress throughout the school, which is clearly very important. Absolutely. I think we're just going to move on to talking about a specific area, Scott, which is the role of sure. fathers in the life of boys and also the, the role of fathers in the life of boys attending an all-boys school or really attending any school. And um, we, we've discussed over the years how so many boys appear to lack a strong positive male role model and the impact this has on them. And I think we've been aware of the number of absent fathers and also fathers who are in the family but appear to be uncommitted to their sons and inactive. What 
do you think there are any social changes that have given rise to this? What, what, where do you think this might be coming from? This definitely has been a recurring theme in our supervision sessions and an issue that is, I know, frustrated us both. In saying this, I think scarily at this time, fathers are more committed and involved in family life than ever before. But still too often I'm working with young people and families where the father is either absent or not involved enough. Clearly at an all-boys school, this is problematic. And I see a lot of students repeating their father's mistakes and having similar characteristics or issues such as anger, aggression, violence, and disrespect to women as their fathers. Other students seem to learn from their father's mistakes um, and they do all they can to try and be different to them. And in these cases, it seems like students are looking at two other positive male role models in their life, such as uncles, coaches, teachers, and the like. I don't think any social change has given rise to this issue and that actually a social change needs to occur to address this issue. We need to get fathers to be more involved in their children's lives. In many cases, boys learn to be men by learning from the men in their own life, which is why we want and need for these fathers to be good, positive role models for their sons and also for their daughters for that matter. Absolutely. I think just, just sort of talking a bit about divorce, because a, a lot of the, uh, the I mean, divorce is, is certainly part of what's happening in, in society, and we're not critical of that in any sense. But one of the things we've noted is how when parents divorce in some cases, the father's commitment to the children of their first marriage seems to weaken. And, and then it, that has a major impact on the boys and they feel as though they're not as important as they once were, or they struggle to, um, uh, you know, while the parents take the view that this is our lives and you just fit into it, when you're an adolescent boy, particularly, that's a very hard, and, and girl, of course, and it's a very hard thing to just fit into a life change that's been dictated by the adult world. And I, I just wonder what, if you find this from your experience. Yeah, unfortunately, it's become a sad and regular experience and frustration for me and my work at the school. On a number of occasions, working with families, um, I've seen fathers sort of leave one marriage, move on, repartner, and have children in that second marriage, and actually invest more time in the children in that second marriage compared to the first. And this is particularly heartbreaking for the young person I'm, that I'm working with. I think perhaps in these situations, these men are trying to correct mistakes that they made in the first marriage. Um, and often in these cases, we see the mother taking on more responsibility and in many cases getting overwhelmed with stress and pressure that only exacerbate problems for the whole family. And I, I think in, in that situation that you found that in the absence of fathers, mothers become quite desperate to get help for their sons, but they often end up in overcompensating behaviour or find it hard to set appropriate boundaries for their sons. And I just wonder what your thoughts are about this. That's exactly right. Um, I really feel for these mothers who end up playing the role of the mother and the father, while in many cases trying to support the family financially. And typically these mothers have the very best of intentions, but in many cases with their overcompensating behaviour, they end up creating new problems for the children and the family at large. In many cases like this, the young person can rebel, push back and be more difficult to manage, which results in mothers becoming more concerned, more frustrated, tired and desperate for help. And these, in, in these cases, we as school counsellors end up spending a lot of time supporting the mother and coaching them to deal with the, their problem child or children in the family. So just sort of linking in with this, that I recall a while ago when an all-boys school was in the glare of the media, in the television program I watched, 
Not a single father was interviewed, although this was a boys' school, and even though many of the fathers would have been past pupils at the school. And I was surprised and really rather disappointed that the television interviewers made no comment. They didn't pick up on this. They only interviewed the bewildered and upset mothers. And I couldn't help wondering if the involvement of fathers in the first instance could have prevented some of these problems from taking place. And, you know, one wonders, what is the culture that actually stops the men from being involved? I mean, do you have any thoughts or comments about this? Yeah, I think it's definitely an important thing to consider. Um, and if we're speaking in general terms about the fathers of the students I'm working with, I think they're from an era that did not necessarily have an understanding of mental health issues or have the ability to seek out help themselves when needed when they were younger. I'd be younger than most of the parents at my school. And even in my time at a prestigious private school, I did not have access to a school counsellor or any mental health wellbeing education. Again, in general terms, males and fathers seem to be less emotional than females and mothers. And most of the students I work with report that they go to either parent for different forms of support, but when it comes to emotional support, they almost always go to their mother. I also think that fathers often get frustrated by their inability to solve an emotional problem and as such avoid the situation or react poorly when they unsuccessfully attempt to address the issue. With this, we see the different forms of coping strategies where generally males are more problem focused, whereas mothers are generally more emotion focused. And for these reasons, and for the fact that a lot, a lot of fathers are either absent or not involved, I often see students in a love-hate relationship with their father. That's right, that they're, they're in a love-hate relationship. So they hate them for not being involved. They're furious with them, um, but they desperately need them. They can't let go of them. Um, and then sometimes because they need them as mentors and they and and to identify, they have to work out how they're going to become a man. And so in some cases, they end up identifying with the absent or the angry father or maybe repeating their mistakes, as I think you mentioned earlier. Mm. So it's a it's a terribly, terribly sad situation. And it, and it really means that the fathers don't understand how much they're needed and that the answer isn't. Uh, you know, to as you were saying, perhaps the fathers want to make some sort of practical suggestion, or they'll say, "Just tell me what I need to do," yeah. and and it isn't about what they need to do; it's about who they are. You know, it's, it's about listening. It's all. It's about mm. empathy. It's about engaging. It's not about the young person. You know, very often mm. young people might say to their parents, "I want to tell you something." You know, maybe problematic about taking drugs mm. or whatever or being involved in something that maybe their parents wouldn't approve of. and they, But they want to share and confide in their parents. And they might say, I want to tell you, mum and dad, about something, but I don't want you to do anything. Mm -hmm. you know, they don't want the parents to be rushing into action. They just want the parents to be listening and yep. absorbing a bit about where they're at at that moment. So that yep. and, and by doing that, that's often enough for the young person to be mm -hmm. able to make sense of the experience themselves. Um, just sort of going on to one of the, the how you know it never goes away in the sense that um, you know without being old-fashioned in terms of gender roles, but I think we have to be realistic that uh, boys need to have an identification with their fathers, and we know of situations where boys, despite having had little contact with their fathers over the years, where parents are separated or divorced. They insist on going to live with them in mid-adolescence, which may be upsetting for their mothers. But I think it, I often try and help mothers in the situation to understand 
that this isn't a reflection that they haven't done a good job, but there mm. is an urgent, urgent need for the boy that he has to find a male identification, even with a father who has let him down perhaps in the past. Mm. And I, I wonder if you'd agree with that or if you have different experiences. I think deep down, all young people want a closeness or a positive bond with both of their parents. And this is probably more of a need than a want. And this may especially be the case with my adolescent male clients and their fathers. In many cases, children of divorce spend more time living with their mothers and my clients report using their mothers for emotional support. For this reason, in many cases, my clients are very close and protective of their mothers. But even when these students have a fractured relationship with their fathers, there does seem to be a deep down need or want for a closeness and approval from and with the father. With this, I've seen young people in my practice give their father multiple chances to repair the relationship, which indicates love. But when this does not go to plan and when they're let down once again, often I see the hate witnessed in sessions later on with me. I've also had a lot of many clients that have cut off all ties to their fathers during mid-adolescence due to their father's lack of input and presence in their lives. On occasions where my clients have made an attempt to re-engage with their fathers following a lack of input and presence, the mothers have generally been outwardly supportive of this, but deep down upset and worried about further disappointment. It's a very complicated situation for all concerned and a stress, a stress that these young people do not need in their lives. Adolescence is clearly hard enough without having to deal with issues within the family outside of the young person's control. It's very hard for them, isn't it? I mean, we, we've also yeah. talked about how um, in some of the situations where you're trying to help a young person and um, the school gets involved and there's and the school wants to do its absolute best and um, and, and they call a meeting um, about the young person and then oftentimes only the mother turns up, although you have very deliberately invited both the parents. And, um, and so fathers are actively encouraged but, but often don't turn up for, for very, very key meetings. Mm. And it seems almost impossible to understand this. I mean, is it that they would feel guilty or anxious or that are they worried that they're going to be blamed? And I, I suppose whatever their feeling is about it, what is the stance of the school? You know, does the school say, look, you know, we know you are paying the fees, but that doesn't preclude you from needing to take a responsibility as a parent? I mean, what, what, would the what does the school feel in, that, in this respect where the, where, the, where the parent becomes, in a sense, somewhat delinquent? Yeah, this really frustrates me. And, and sadly, 90% of the time when we receive phone calls from parents and have meetings with parents, it's usually the mothers that um, actually turn up or speak to us. You know, one really terrible example I can provide of a father's lack of commitment in my practice with a student um, was with a student that was not connected to our wellbeing service who attempted suicide following a personal struggle. Of course, following this incident, the school insisted that the student be connected with myself. And before he could return to school, a meeting was scheduled to discuss how this could be made possible. Both parents and the young person were invited to the meeting as it was important that all members of the family were present. However, only the mother and the young person ended up attending. In this case, the mother arranged time from work <clears throat> to attend the meeting, while the father who did not attend was actually retired and chose to stay at home instead. This speaks volumes and I question how this made the young person feel. I'm guessing not valued, appreciated or loved. My school's particular stance on this is that a collective input of both parents is critical. And as such, where possible, both parents are encouraged to attend school events and meetings. 
and be involved in their children's lives. But unfortunately, we can't make families do anything, so handle each situation as best as we can. Would, would you ever say to the father, uh, you know, there's, it, 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 tell them quite sort of specifically that you really can't do any more, you know, that you've reached yep. the limits of what can be achieved. I mean, also you are an educational institution, although, of course, you're, you've got your uh, the counselling service and so on, but w- mm. would you actually um, inform the father in a situation like that that there is a limit, you know, or, or, or communicate with them that you note their absence and because of that there are certain consequences of that? Would that ever yeah, be I think that's something. I think that's something that we'll need to do going forward, actually, or insist that they attend the meeting, especially in situations um, that are really serious. Yes, because I I think it's really about, I I know this may sound awfully old-fashioned, and I don't mean it in any kind of blame situation, but it is about parental responsibility, which seems to have become a rather muddled concept recently. Hmm. And just sort of coming on to the next question, which is we've discussed Hmm. these concerns over the years, and we've been extremely concerned about the impact of the absence of fathers on a kind of current generation of young men. And at times I've thought about, you know, you need to put out an SOS saying, save our sons, you know, the Mm. collective sons of the community in a sense. And we don't want to engage in father bashing. But I have to ask, how can fathers be helped to understand how important they are, how crucial they are to their sons' lives and to become more engaged with them? And I think this leads to another issue which is mm. that I've known, you know, in my practice that sometimes when children, both boys and girls, turn 12, the parents say, oh, well, they're independent now. Mm. Um, and, you know, and then as teenagers, they turn up at parties, roaming mm. the streets, and the parents say, oh, I'm not going to be your taxi service anymore. And it's a, in, in an extraordinarily peculiar position because there's no way that a 12-year-old is independent or a 13, mm. and of course, the aspects of independence. But it yeah. doesn't absolve the the parents from being responsible for them so that's another weird notion of independence um but i think most particularly how can we help fathers to understand their absolute value you know that the, mm. the, the son in a way and the daughter i mean they, they are they are vitally needed for their child's and their children's development how can we engage with people i mean is are there any sort of public campaigns we need to get involved with <laughs> I think this issue and the question itself really frustrates me because in my mind, a father's job or role is to provide, protect and be involved in every aspect of their children's life and meet all of their needs. Um, In my mind, there's no question to that. And I personally get annoyed when people celebrate my involvement with my own kids because in my mind, I'm just doing what any father should do. I think perhaps more education is needed in this area. Um, Perhaps school could do this via their website or through school newsletters. or maybe we could we could provide more expert guest speakers and parenting father workshops that could be offered at the school. Um, unfortunately, I do fear that very few fathers or parents would attend these offerings. Um, so it might be worth considering whether or how we can make this compulsory. A dream of mine for a long time is to run a father-son camp external to school, where the two can get away together to bond, engage, connect, and work on their relationship away from the stresses at home, work, and school. And this could be facilitated by trained professionals that that could provide guidance, advice, and coaching. No doubt that this would be a big undertaking, but one that surely would be worthwhile and possibly life-changing. And perhaps we need to, you know, survey our students and parents 
to see what kind of support they need as well. You, you mentioned earlier that you engage um, um, male role models, you know, people in the public eyes, you know, sports uh, people who talk about their own experiences. Does that ever involve talking about themselves as fathers? Uh, not to my knowledge, actually, no. There may be something to think about. I mean, it, 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 it sort of veers quite close to becoming a public health issue, and I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, there's not exactly a direct link between what we're discussing and family violence and youth suicide, but there must be some connections, you know, of how do, what is the configuration in parenting, whether parents are divorced or separated, you know, because you, uh, while while a relationship may break down, parenting goes on forever. So, so divorce and separation in itself can't absolve parents from the parenting uh, responsibility. Um, and do you have any thoughts about, uh, you know, perhaps it's a big question about the link, you know, between, um, I mean, we're really talking about educating men, educating fathers, starting with young people, um, but we have to bring men on board. This can't just be uh, about mothers and, mm. uh, and sons or mothers and the school. So mm. any thoughts that you have about that? Um, it's, it's a great question. I think fathers, fathers need to realise that even if they do get divorced with their, their, their partner, um, that their role as a father continues no matter what. Um, and I think it might be helpful if you, we can find these good positive male role models because there are some out there and get them to work with the fathers that need a bit more help and support. Um, so a bit of peer-to-peer -peer, um, yeah, support. Yes, and perhaps a kind of SOS, save our sons. Yeah, you know, definitely. The, um, especially you know, or how especially cool. in an all... Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, especially in an all-boys school. I mean, I think, you know, fathers are critical. Um, and I think if we had, you know, very supportive, present fathers, we may see less issues at school with our young men. Absolutely. And I think less issues perhaps as they go forward in their lives in, in relationships exactly. with women and yep. becoming fathers themselves. So we're really, you know, your work is terribly important and we're really seeing how it sort of goes into the area of public health, doesn't it? You know, yes. preparing young men for life. I mean, that's that's what really what this is about. So, that's Scott, correct. I mean, that's absolutely fascinating and very, very important. And thank you so much for participating in the podcast. Thank you for having me. I hope the listeners got something out of um, our chat today. I'm sure it will. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, this is Dr. Ruth Schmidt-Nevin again. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. You may be interested to know about my audio trainings based on the many trainings I have run throughout Australia and overseas. These include training on relationships, attachment and the brain, time-limited psychodynamic psychotherapy, and skill building in therapeutic work. You can access the details of all my trainings on my website, which is at www.centerforchildandfamily.com. That's A-N-D, so www.centerforchildandfamily.com. Thank you.